The EU AI Act is one of the largest regulatory pieces of legislation that's coming out of the EU right now. And there are plenty of lessons to be learned as we see that implementation start to take place. But the difficulty here is it's not something I believe we can necessarily wait and see on. It's not something we can be like, okay, let the EU do their regulation, wait five years, do a nice five-year study after that, figure out all the downsides and then pass something. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Join host Sanjay Puri as he explores the dynamic and developing world of artificial intelligence governance. Each episode features deep dives with global leaders at the forefront of regulating AI responsibly, tackling the challenges using AI can bring about head-on and enabling balance without hindering innovation. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Artificial intelligence stands at the forefront of technological evolution, with experts predicting that it could add trillions of dollars to our GDP, but it could also negatively impact our workforce and national security. So how do we regulate it without stifling innovation? Our podcast features insight from various perspectives, from industry leaders and government officials to advocacy groups. Together, they address pivotal questions that are needed to create practical legislation. I'm very excited to have Nathan Grant with us today. He's a policy fellow for Teach AI, an initiative steered by Code.org, ETS, ST, the Khan Academy, and the World Economic Forum. I invited him on this show as it's very important to get different stakeholders' views towards building regulation and legislation. And the perspective of education, especially K-12, is very important. Welcome, Nathan. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Regulating AI podcast. Thank you, Sanjay. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Nathan, can you tell us a little bit about Teach AI, this initiative that you're with, to our listeners? Like you said, it is a steered initiative. And not only do we have those steering committee members of Code.org, ETS, SD, Khan Academy, and the World Economic Forum, but we also have a 60-member advisor committee, which makes up a very broad swath of people, including developers like Meta, Google, Amazon, etc. OpenAI is also part of this organization. Then also a lot of the teacher and school stakeholders, people like AASA, NEA, some of the acronyms that are very important. And then additionally, some of the specific ed tech developers, people like Pearson. So I think it's a very diverse group of people and all very important people to get voices in this conversation. Just some phenomenal groups there, Nathan, but what would be the mission of TGI, basically? So we are trying to help people teach with and about AI. We are trying to make sure that we take a balanced approach to AI, especially as it starts to enter our classrooms, because we know that it has great potential, but there are also many risks involved as well. So we want to make sure that there is an environment both on the policy level as well as in the classroom level for people to be able to take advantage of this new tool. And mainly focused on K-12, right? Mainly focused on K-12, correct. Yeah. Okay, great. Nathan, President Biden had announced a sweeping executive order on AI on October 30th. Any perspective on that executive order? Yeah, I think it's a great first step. It works and directs the education department to put out guidance and really take a hard look at how AI should be 
implemented both in their department, but also in the schools across the United States and different specific offices in the Department of Education that are working on these issues. I know we've engaged with them multiple times, are doing great work and putting out great information for teachers to take advantage of. But it's not enough. Executive orders come and go. The next president can come in and completely revoke them and change them and edit them. And unless there's consistency, both from the developer side, but also from the consumer side, it's going to be very difficult to know what they should and shouldn't be doing with AI. But also, probably you would also like to see legislation get framed in there because that's permanent, hopefully. So is that one of the focuses also from TJI also to work towards that too? Yeah, TJI's approach is to help create, and we're working on some policy projects to help create a sample policy for states. We're focused on state level because we know the power of states and some of the things that they're going to be trying to implement. And we want to make sure that policymakers have the right information. We cannot underestimate the amount of information that is still needed on this level. So many people just aren't there yet for understanding what AI is, how it is impacting society, and then even more deeply how it's impacting education. So we want to make sure that policymakers have the proper information and can make good decisions and avoid bad ones. I've seen stories of people trying to pass legislation that bans algorithms for everybody under the age of 18. And that's not the kind of thing that we'd like to see. So you're working on policy issues, especially focused on states, because there are about 30 states which currently have some kind of legislation or some kind of bills uh, relating to AI or data privacy out there. So that makes a lot of sense. Nathan, given your focus at TJI, Tell us, how can K-12 education play a pivotal role in fostering a foundational understanding of AI among students? Because if they are aware, it would contribute to an informed citizenry for AI legislation, because you just talked about that there is a lack of awareness, probably with legislators. But if we take what we're talking about, a grassroots approach, it could make a big difference. So tell us, how could K-12 education play that kind of a role? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, AI literacy is incredibly important and making sure that it is interwoven throughout the educational system, not just in computer science classes, not just in tech classes or data statistics classes, things like English, things like history, all of these things still should account for how AI is changing the educational system. So that's why one of our biggest asks is to have schools incorporate and update academic standards to include and account for AI because it's changing everything. So it's really important that schools are prepared for that so that students can also be prepared for that. So obviously you're working with schools to get them prepared for AI, but as there are different levels of technological access in different educational settings, how can we ensure there's an equitable AI education for all students? Because we talk about digital divide. Is there going to be an AI divide? So how do we make sure that it's there is an equitable AI education for all students? Yeah, I think you're totally right. One big lesson we learned from COVID is we, I think, drastically underestimated how big this digital divide actually was. When people started leaving the classroom and having to log in virtually, the lack of access to internet, the lack of access to devices in the home 
was very apparent. And we did a lot of work to try and close that gap, but it wasn't enough. And even with that said, another big lesson is we can't just focus on putting devices in people's hands. We have to focus on also giving them the proper training, both at the student level, but also the educator and staff level so that they understand how to actually use the devices. So it's not just scanning a, a worksheet and putting it on an iPad. Actually figure out how we're going to take advantage of these new tools so that they actually are useful versus a hindrance. So let's just take it a step forward here, Nathan. There's tremendous advancements that are happening in AI, whether it's large language models, multimodal, DALI, and other stuff. But how can K-12 education adapt so that students are not just consumers, but they also have a voice in the dialogue around AI legislation? People would say, why should students have a voice? But what is your perspective? How can we get them to become an active contributor in the dialogue here? I think that's a good question. I think it's very important that students' voices are heard, especially when we're passing legislation that's going to affect them. I think things like student surveys, things like task forces that have student voices on them, these are great ways to make sure that we have the information and we have those voices so we know and are properly making informed decisions on policy that needs to be passed in, in the classroom. Because there's a lot of hype, I'll give an example, a lot of hype around cheating and people using uh, AI to cheat in the classroom. And if we start passing legislation to curb that behavior, but let's say that and an early uh, polling from places like CBT suggests that students aren't necessarily using it in the way that we're so worried about, why would we be passing legislation or harm them when they aren't actually engaging in these negative behaviors? So it's important that we're tracking it important that the students' voices are being heard, and it's a great way to make sure that everybody's involved. And so can there be partnerships between the K-12 education institutions and policymakers to somehow enhance the integration of AI education and the broader discussion on legislation? Because Nathan, I, and I'm sure you see that the people who have come in on the discussions on Capitol Hill have been mainly these large companies, tech companies, Stanford, Carnegie, et cetera. But shouldn't there be some kind of partnerships between K-12 education institutions and policymakers to get their voices in this legislation? Yeah, there absolutely should be. Another one of our big asks is the creation of AI and education task forces at the state level. And these task forces should absolutely include parent voices, student voices, and educator and staff voices, because they have different concerns than the developers. And they're also at a different informational level than the developers as well. Making sure that teachers and staff are understanding these things as they're being implemented is going to be crucial to make sure that it is done in an effective way. It cannot be understated how big of a need it is to keep teachers' voices and educators and staff voices heard during the conversation and not just policymakers and developers making policy for teachers and educators. So how can then education promote inclusivity and diversity in AI discussions? Because the worry is obviously that we have training data. So how do we ensure that legislative frameworks consider 
a wide range of perspectives here, Nathan. The issue of algorithmic bias is a tough one. It has competing interests too, because like you said, the data training is incredibly important, but also on the side of that, if the more data and the more specific data you're getting, you start bumping into privacy issues. So you have to find the right balance and you have to have the right broad framework of voices there to make sure that people are not being harmed by these tools. Again, there's some early data that suggests that student monitoring softwares meant to help mental health or meant to prevent bad content from being put in front of students is discriminatory and has led to things like students being outed because they're LGBTQ. These are not good outcomes. And these are things that should be constantly monitored. And when we start to see those outcomes taking place, proper action is taken. So Nathan, some school systems in the U.S. have banned use of large language models, let's say like chat, GPT, etc. Where does TGI come out on this issue? Are you for the ban, against the ban? What is your perspective? AI is very different than other ed tech tools and things like that that have entered the classroom in the past because it's not a teacher or a developer that's bringing and driving the need for this. Students are the ones who began starting to use AI and are bringing it into the classroom. And that brings a very different dynamic because when you ban it, all that happens is students who have access to the ability to use these things in the home will continue to use it. And students who do not will not. And back to the digital divide issue, bans seem to just exacerbate it. And it's kind of like the genie's out of the bottle and there's no putting it back in. So we have to find a way to equitably and effectively use it in a safe and responsible manner. So that's kind of what we are saying. Bans don't necessarily address that in the best way. So what you're saying is bans actually create inequity in, in some shape or form, and you're against those bans. Nathan, one of the fears, and you've seen this with social media, that you have three, four, five large tech companies that now control the town square. There is a possibility the same thing could happen uh, with AI. AI is even a much more expensive. Training this data costs tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Is that a concern from an educational standpoint that this tool is in the hands of three or four large companies? Yeah, definitely. Especially when you have student data concerns on top of that. You know, there's so many of these early access tools promised to be PERPA compliant, but there's little evidence to be able to back that up because they're simply just built on top of ChatGPT or anything like that. There are definitely, and I I want to be clear here, there are definitely a lot of people who are taking the time and doing their due diligence to make sure they're properly putting out the right information. But it's difficult for administrators and teachers to be able to assess that right now because AI is so opaque. It is such a black box in many ways that a person can promise that student data is not going to be used in the training algorithm. But how can they actually properly assess that? So there's definitely uh, some concerns I have when it comes to data centralization there, as well as the approach that many people are taking seems to be pretty okay, but you're right. It is cost prohibitive for startups and things of that nature to get involved in this current moment. Yeah. So 
regarding the role of education, how do you see the, the role of education in shaping public understanding and awareness of it, especially in context of legislation? Do you see a role for educators, students, as we are working our way towards framing this legislation? I would say the biggest thing that education can serve when it comes to public awareness around AI is it can, if done right, it can serve as kind of like a model training ground to show people the, the possibilities of AI in a healthy way. But if done wrong, it can have the exact opposite effect. So it's really important here that we get it right and that we harness the benefits of AI, but mitigate the risks. We got to make sure that everybody is not over-reliant on AI, that people are keeping humans in the loop, that it's meant to be kind of like a electric bicycle of sorts versus a Roomba, where you just turn it on and let it go do its thing. But an electric bicycle helps you speed up and get to your destination faster. So there's many different things that are kind of like difficult. And I think with education, it's always been like a strong ground to help build understanding but it also takes time. The next generation may be way more familiar and less scared of AI, but I don't see a way in which K-12 especially is going to change broad public perception on AI. Now, the question of deep fakes, Nathan, has come up quite a bit. It's also in the executive order of President Biden. He talked about watermarking, and there are several bills that address this. Is that an issue in the education system in K-12 at all? Of course. Whether it be creating a piece of material and using it and trying to push it off as your own, that's one concern, of course, when it comes to watermarking and, and, and things of that nature. The other thing that's pretty unique and has unfortunately started popping up is people using deep fakes to create fake materials of their classmates. Whether it be, unfortunately, I've heard stories of pornographic materials being made of their fellow students or other harmful, bullying, negative materials being made. And that's obviously unacceptable. And things like watermarks can help. My concern is it doesn't do it enough because people who are already set out to do something negative with AI are going to find a way I think pretty easily to just remove the watermarks, whether it's a tool that is already just kind of set up to not put them on in the first place because it's either hosted in another country that doesn't have to deal with the watermark regulation, or it's another tool that's set up to simply remove the watermarks after the material's already been created. I think these are things that are likely to happen and likely we're going to see happening. So there needs to be more than just the watermarks and policymakers need to be aware of that so that it's not just, oh, we did the watermarks, we're good. No, no more deep fake issue. There needs to be better kind of ways to assess and figure out if something's actually AI generated. So do you see a need for a standardized AI education guidelines at the K-12 level? And how could they influence the legislative landscape? What is your perspective? Should there be a standardized uh, AI education guideline for K-12? I think there should be high-level standardized principles, high-level standardized guidelines is a fine word, but it's very important that they're flexible so that the needs of each individual school district is... So if you think about it, it's kind of like a funnel. So from the top end, it's very wide. 
there are broad things. And then as you move down the chain to eventually school level implementation, these things should all fit together and fit in sync so that they work together and create a proper environment. But if you start at the bottleneck, so many things are going to be left out because the needs of a school district in New York City is very different than the needs of a school district in rural Arkansas. And the different policies that need to be implemented in those schools need to be taken account of those different needs. So what you're saying is can have broad guidelines, but you know, obviously they're based on region and all kinds of other stuff. The needs are much, much different. Nathan, are there any lessons from global education systems that you think policymakers can draw upon when they're considering your yeah, legislation and its educational implication? Because education implication is a very important aspect and you highlighted that up front. But are there any lessons from even different technologies, global systems that policymakers can draw upon? I think it's tough. I mean, so many places around the world right now are grappling with this issue in different ways and they have different needs. And we're seeing, I think, the EU AI Act is one of the largest regulatory pieces of legislation that's coming out of the EU right now. And there are plenty of lessons to be learned as we see that implementation start to take place. But the difficulty here is it's not something I believe we can necessarily wait and see on. It's not something we can be like, okay, let the EU do their regulation, wait five years, do a nice five-year study after that, figure out all the downsides, and then pass something. There's too much going on right now. There needs to be action now. And I think we can intelligently work together with industry, education, and parents and students to find the right answers here in the U.S. Looking to make the most out of AI advancements and innovation? Visit regulatingai.org to learn more about how best to optimize the use and integration of AI and sign up for the Regulating AI newsletter to keep up to date with the latest in AI governance and regulation. Yeah, as you said, there's a lot at stake uh, here and we can't wait. Nathan, you've been very gracious with your time. So final question for you is generally at least in most technologies, at least it's been seen that young people are, they grasp this much, much faster, whether it's social media or other things, mobile technology. Do you think AI education for KTL students can extend beyond the classroom so that they can engage with their parents, communities to just create a broader societal awareness of AI? Because you've seen the reports about the fear that is out there. Do you think maybe we should be thinking of it in reverse where the students, the young people are actually going to engage with our communities and parents and make maybe create a broader awareness within society about AI. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think it is a strong possibility that students kind of lead the integration into larger society. Like you said, I think social media is a great example of this. It was college students using it first, obviously, because that was who it was available to. And then from there, it became teenagers who were predominantly on these platforms. And then eventually it led to Facebook being one of the largest social media platforms on the planet because of its broad access and broad applicability to many different generations. And I definitely see that kind of trend happening. It's not just 
young people using social media anymore. And while young people may be using AI more than their parents now, as it becomes more integrated into society and more well understood, I definitely think that people will start to shift and be more broadly used. Yeah, I agree with you. I think maybe it's the young people, but across the board, I think the awareness will get and the fear will probably go away if we have proper legislation. I said that was my last question, but I want to see if I can add one other question, which I just thought about. When we talk to members of Congress, Senate, etc., you know, we ask them, you highlighted the EU has come together at a political level to frame, you know, the EU AI Act. At least there's been a political uh, understanding and agreement, which is not the easiest thing to do in the world. In the U.S., when I talk to members of Congress and Senate, they say it's going to be incremental doing a comprehensive AI Act is at least in the near term, is hard. We have an election year coming up. What are your thoughts, final thoughts, on in terms of where do we see legislation? Is it incremental? Is it comprehensive? What would you like to see happen? I mean, ideally, in a comprehensive approach that includes all of these concerns, whether it be data privacy, education, healthcare, banking, all of these different issues that AI is touching would be included in, in a comprehensive bill. But I share the, the the pessimism that this is something that can be done in the near term. I think probably the most likely thing to happen, especially in an election year, that might happen is something around election security. I think especially as members of Congress start to feel the weight of some of these AI-generated targeted ads or deep fakes or anything like that, they're going to be like, wait, why haven't we done something about this? It's affecting us. We can get something done on this right now. So I think in the near term, that is, in, in my estimation, the most likely thing that uh, will be passed is something around election security. So what you're saying is it'll be incremental, not comprehensive, and probably election security because starting next year will be in full election season. So no, that's a great insight, Nathan. Thanks so much for taking the time to really provide an insight on a very important aspect of this that does not get talked about as much. And at Regulating AI, our intention is to bring different stakeholders, civil rights, education, small business, because they are a key part of our society, not just the big tech companies. So really, thank you so much for making time and for your insight. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Regulating AI Innovate Responsibly podcast. You'll find links in the show notes to any resources mentioned on the show. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review.